welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're excited to present a conversation with the great Hungarian filmmaker, Bella Tarr, who recently joined us for screenings of four films from his acclaimed filmography, three of which were new restorations, courtesy of Janus Films. Three years in the making, Werkmeister Harmonies is a sustained, real-time immersion in the universe of weather-beaten villages and full-contact metaphysics in which co-directors Bella Tarr and Agnes Hranitsky specialize. A curiously smart paper carrier named Janos, Lars Rudolph in an astonishingly complex performance, observes a mysterious traveling circus, complete with a stuffed whale, that comes to town and marks a sea change in relationships of all kinds, between families, lovers, peasants, and royals. In this movie, voted as one of the best of its decade by film comment, each action, however small, carries the weight of revolution. We're happy to announce that tickets for the 22nd edition of the New York Asian Film Festival are now on sale. Featuring over 70 new and classic titles, a greatly expanded selection of short films, and an exciting slate of celebrated guests and award honorees from Asia and the diaspora, this year's festival runs in our theaters from July 14th through July 30th. View the entire lineup and get your tickets to the New York Asian Film Festival at filmlink.org slash nyasian2023. Now please enjoy the conversation between Bella Tarr and FLC Senior Director of Programming, Florence Almozini. Thank you so much to the audience for being here and thank you so much for the wonderful director uh, Bella Tarr for being with us tonight. Um, before we ask, I'm, I'm, I just have a, it's a question I usually don't ask, but how many of you have seen uh, Werkmeister Harmony on the big screen before? Okay. So this, for some of you, was the first time watching it on big screen. And it's, it's quite a wonderful experience. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw it, uh, when it came out in 2001 um, in, in the US, and it's changed my vision of cinema. Um, and the way it's I a big responsibility. <laughs> yeah, very, because of you now, I have to do that job and make sure people watch good films. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have watched, let them watch, you know, bad uh, French comedies. And, uh, yeah, I remember uh, <laughs> the first, the world premiere, it was in Cannes at the Kensen. And one before screening, we had an evening and I was poisoned by oysters. <laughs> and... You're not supposed to eat oyster in, in May. May. <laughs> now I know forever, since this time. <laughs> Swear to God, I don't remember for anything. I'm going to have a few words with um, the people at 
at Cannes about, about that <laughs> to know if it was planned or not. Um, but <laughs> um, do you ever rewatch your own film personally? Like, have you rewatched Werkmeister Harmony recently? Or? Uh, <coughs> yes, I did it because I decided a movie, you know, I was really resistant to digitalize them because I think if we shot for 35 millimeter, I never touch it. But after 20 years, and now to see the situation when you don't have just very few theaters with the 35 millimeter prints, I had a feeling, why not? But it has to be minimum 20 years for uh, 35 millimeters. And afterwards, let's try another way. And of course, I saw it take by take because I was degrading myself because I don't trust any engineers. I don't trust any kind of professionals. <laughs> and I really, because they don't. Let's tell you an example. Uh, the Chateau was digitalized by Arbelos in Los Angeles. And they sent us the scan. You know what happened? They had a very professional computer technology and they definitely clean it the picture and clean it the rain from the movie. And if some of you saw it the Shantango, you could see it's about the rain. <laughs> and I have seen it a totally different shit. <laughs> That's why I decided I have to control and do myself. It means I had to see it, take by take. Do, but you have not rewatched with an audience? No, mm -hmm. because this is a procedure mm -hmm. and it's, you cannot involve the people. When, like, I, I did rewatch the film uh, recently because we, we played it here. And the uh, political aspect of the film is, is, was very strong 20 years ago, but it's still just as strong today. And is it something that you're conscious of, um, the political aspect of the film, 
which also relate to the situation in, in Hungary at the time, which is very different from today, but could still apply to a different aspect of the regime in Hungary. Uh, I have to tell you that time when we did this movie, we were sure this is only a fairy tale. And would be a nice fairy tale about uh, maybe something about the fear. But if you look around now the world, when you see the power of the populism, when you see the power of this fascism, and like in Hungary, and you feel it, but not only in Hungary. I think you feel it here too. Not Maybe not in New York, but if you go around in your country, or if you go to Italy, or doesn't matter where are you going. Or let's see now what is happening in Russia and you know, that time it was just looks like a bad dream. And we were hoping never will happen. And now we see it's happening day by day, almost everywhere. And this is, but I don't think the main issue is the political aspect. The main issue is what is happening with you if you are, let's say, you belong to the eternity because you are predestinated to understand more or you are more sensible than your environment, when you, you know, we have three main characters in this movie. Walushka, who belongs to the cosmos, and Mr. Esther, who connected to the clean voices, and the whale, who came from the far ocean. All three them very close connection to the eternity. And somehow we were thinking about the whole what this means to be a human being or what this means to a part of the universe, and that was somehow our key question. And of course, you have a lot of shit around you, which is by the end killing you, destroying your vision, destroying your presence or destroying your 
being. I I wanted to ask um, one other question about the film, which is um, involvement with the music, because the music is really part. It's another character of the film, really, and it also stays in you and the way you use it. So can you just talk a little bit about the um, involvement you had in, in, in working with uh, Miel Yveig uh, in the film? And like, you, you, you worked directly on creating the score with him. Uh, about the music. You know, I'm working, and we are working together with Mihai since uh, 1983. And he was at that time, and still kind of underground rock and roll musician, and he is a poet, very good one, and he's a good musician. And we became friends in 1983. And since this time, he was working with us. And I can tell you, the music is really one of the main characters. Like our physically presence actors or locations, the whole landscape and everything, they are also incredibly important. And Mihai's music also very important, and I know, I have to know his music before the shooting, because you have to know your main character before the shooting. And uh, he goes to the studio before the shooting, and he's bringing that's time, first time just uh, audio tape and later CDs and now USB. And uh, we, you know, just a tech is different, but the spirit is not. And we, you have to know, we never talk about the film. We all the time talk about the life, how it's going. And the main issue is when I'm working with somebody, how is our point of view? If we see a human situation, let's say on the street or somewhere, doesn't matter when you see how the people are reacting. And if we understand on the same way, in this case, 
No reason to talk about the film. No reason. We don't have script. We don't have anything what we can talk. Maybe we can talk just the situations, what we will filming. And it was all the time with all my main collaborators and everybody who was a part of our crew, they have to think on the same way. Of course, not the technicians and not the lighters, because, no, they, they are also understand, because I was working all the time with the same crew. But, you know, I stopped the filmmaking 12 years ago. But this doesn't mean I'm lazy and I don't do anything. We had, we had a big exhibition in Amsterdam and we had a big show in Vienna, which it was called Missing People. 250 homeless people, partly motion picture, partly live music, and partly installations. And this, it was also with Mihai. And it's, you know, we are like a family, and sometimes we bored each other, sometimes we hate each other, you know, like in a real family. This episode is brought to you by Ovid. Slash Film calls Ovid one of the streaming services you need to be cool. Ovid features radical, hand-picked, rarely seen films from around the world. Streaming this month on Ovid is a new 4K restoration of John Cameron Mitchell's funny and explicit short bus. Matthew Rankin's inventive The 20th Century, called a surreal spectacle by the Boston Globe, and Werner Herzog's deeply personal Nomad in the footsteps of Bruce Chatwin. With films from Chantel Ackerman to Peter Watkins, Ovid invites you to look at life and cinema through a different lens. Sign up at ovid.tv today for your free seven-day trial. That's ovid.tv. Um, you you mentioned that you you're not lazy, but you quit making film f for now. But you when you were also teaching, uh, did you bring me I on the teaching school? No. Uh, it was part of like we are not talking. First to of all, I'm not teaching uh, because it's a wrong word. Yes, I try to liberate my young colleagues. This is my what you have to understand. I hate and I want to close all art schools and all 
film schools immediately. Really, because what is means school? You are there like students, and you pay a lot of tuition, and then a teacher is coming, and he will tell you what he thinks the best. I can believe they, they want to give you their best, but they don't count on your personality. They don't count on your vision. They don't count anything. They are just giving you a kind of lecture, and then afterwards you have to do a fucking exam. And then what, what, you, what you get? Only one way. Take it or leave it. You know, it's so stupid system. The whole system is stupid. Uh, because all of you are different. And you need different treatment. You need to be yourself. And if the school has, the school goal is you take you equal and fit for a fucking system, in this case, you are totally lost. But if somebody who has a real big empathy and understand you are coming from Japan, you are Shinto, you are lesbian, and you have a different cultural background, and different religion, different skin color, and uh, respect this. In this case, you can get a chance to develop her or the other guy from a different corner of the world. This is why I hate, and I, if I said, I really want to close all art schools, because uh, they, we have to apply, and our power is in our differences. I, I do remember something you told me um, 20 years ago. We were in a bar drinking. Could happen. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, where would you put the camera if you were filming here? And I've been thinking about this for 20 years. <laughs> and I knew I couldn't make a film because I couldn't find the right camera angle and placement in that particular bar. So I. As a non-teacher, you erase questions that open my mind, but there was no answers <laughs> for, for me. 
So if you go and drink with Mr. Star, like you can just think about all type of questions that can come up <laughs> during the drinking. Uh, we have time for some questions, and I believe we have some microphones around. So uh, the light is very bright, so you need to... There's someone here, and there's a microphone coming to you. Uh, Ella, thank you so much for all your films but especially this one, uh, it touches me immensely every time I see it. I really think it is a miracle some way. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, I think in an interview for many years ago, you talk about uh, this impotence in filmmaking and especially on the figure of the filmmaker that has to believe in the viewer and makes the film uh, in this pact of believing. And here you talk about this character's relationship with eternity uh, in amid all these turmoils and tempests and having and keeping this relationship. So I wanted to ask you to what degree this relationship between film and viewer, uh, this believing, this mutual belief, is also uh, embedded in this relationship with eternity, is also a communion of this same eternity. Uh. <laughs> Uh, you know what? <laughs> it is... What do you expect from me? Uh, hey, uh, to do a fucking film, it is all the time provoking you. You know, this kind of eternity issue. Of course, this is a real big goal. You know, when I go to Italy and I see the Michelangelo's David. I'm shocked and I'm deeply thinking, what the hell, what this man was capable to do. You know, it is a huge marmor and technically just to do you know, when you go to see some sculptures, you can see uh, the sculptures mostly has three legs. Like me now. I have this fucking stick and I'm standing on my two legs. But this is not normal. And do you remember for the David? when he is just standing in one of his soul and the other leg is just like this. It's uh, the whole stuff, let's say, can be instable, but it's very stable and a huge piece of marmor. And when you ask me this, this came to me now, you know, because the form 
and the style and the respect of the human dignity and just to give a form for this current situation just to tell to your grandchildren how you had to do your life to show to the future you know if somebody find your stuff 50 years later how was it maybe we can go closer to your question a little bit I'm not sure we can get answer but we can go closer to understand your question but anyway tomorrow you will see my first experience what I did it when I was 22 and a movie what you know it came up from my anger when I hated the society and I hated how they destroy the people's life and I just wanted to punching, beating, kicking you and you will see tomorrow it may be it is became 46 years old movie. I'm very close to reach the 50 because somehow this is the border for me. Uh, we have time for another question with someone there. We don't hear you and we don't see you. Can we get a little light Maybe stand up. into the room? <laughs> ah, thank you. Not for us, for the room. <laughs> I'm in the same situation. Yeah, yeah. Where? Here, here. She's here. Here. Ah, okay. <laughs> Congratulations. How do you cultivate in the process patience um, for your crew, for your actors, and for yourself? Patience. I don't. You, you, don't, you don't have patience? <laughs> no, I did not understand your question because, first of all, you have to accept my mother language is not English. And please repeat the question for me. And a little bit slower and a little bit louder. How do you have patience for your crew, for your actors, and for yourself? In the process of being this film? 
Now I really, now I understand the question, but I don't understand the meaning of the question. <laughs> because, swear to God, uh, what do you believe about the filmmaking? The filmmaking is a very pragmatic shit. Uh, you have to wake up at the morning, you have to go to the location, uh, you know what the real process. You decided, okay, I do this movie. What is happening? You have to do the casting. And you will see after this movie, The Man from London, when we had Tilda Swinton and some Miroslav Krobot, some, let's say, professional people. But doesn't matter if somebody professional or not. Somebody, what I need, their personalities. You know, when you have this idea for, uh, let's say, I don't say story. I say the whole movie. You know, the situations, we never write script because it's no reason. It's just bothering me because it's heavy, a lot of paper, and you cannot do anything in the set with this amount of people, paper. Really, it's useless. But you know well, you believed some characters, but when you are front of the question of the casting, and the casting, you know what is the most important thing? To find somebody who has a strong personality, and he or she, she, yeah, or their personalities are very close to the character. And then the second step, you have to revise all your idea and changing to make it fit for their personalities. And then you have to revise the situations, what you want to shoot. Because the situations, they have to be there. They have to be in. It means serious thing not to influencing and uh, pushing them to play character because I want to 
them and I'm haunting their spontaneity. This is the main issue for the, f the filming for me. Of course, I know somebody believes the acting is a professional, is a profession, and I'm sure somebody believing the screenwriting is a profession, and uh, somebody believing the box office is the box office, and uh, this is their goal. But uh, for me, it's all about the human life. And uh, the life generally, it's not only the practical human beings. It's about the nature, it's about the natural elements. Now outside is raining. And you know, uh, this kind of things are very important. It's, we cannot say, uh, this, is a, this is a job. You have to understand what are you doing, and you have to discover the whole world around you, and transforming on you, and then try to sharing with you. But you have to be careful, sensible. You need all your empathy. You have to treat the people equal. This is the main issue. Um, I wish we could go on longer, but if we want to show the man from London in five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> we should probably wait for... Uh, well, you're going to introduce the next film, and you're back tomorrow also for both films. So we're going to wrap yeah, up for this one. Today you will see <laughs> another stuff, and tomorrow <laughs> we can meet again. But if you have enough time, you can stay up to you. Outside this heavy day, I recommend you to stay here. <laughs>